I don't know exactly where it began or how it is that we strayed away. I think it was probably out of a good purpose that we wanted truly the church to be welcoming and open, and it ought to be. We ought to be some of the most loving, absolute, uh, on-fire people for Jesus that the world has ever seen. We are not ones standing on the corner with signs telling people God hates them and they're going to hell. We're ones reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ to say God loves you, he cares. And so in that, though some way, and part of it is this political system that wants us to be politically correct instead of biblically correct. And I will tell you, as your pastor, I will never apologize for it. God has not called me, God has not called the church to be politically correct. God has called his church to be biblically correct, standing in the power of the Holy Spirit in humbleness and in the love of Jesus Christ, letting the light of the gospel come out of you. And so as we have needed and wanted these encounters to happen, somewhere in all of this, we have almost made becoming a Christ follower something that you do just by checking off a list, something you do by joining a club. You never hear the word repentance. That's offensive. But I will tell you, Jesus, in Luke's Gospel 13, talks about it twice in verse 3 and verse 5. He says, unless you repent and give your heart, you will die in your sins. And somehow, in wanting to be welcoming and wanting to be loving, and we should, we have lost the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think, Lord, we can do this. I know you said that we need to call people to repentance. But maybe if they just come and hang around us long enough, they'll become saved by osmosis. It's not biblical. There, it's, it, it's happening in our country where we have a form of godliness and no power. God wants his church to be filled with power. God dropped something in my heart. Maybe some of you will remember I spent a whole year focusing on it. God is not interested in a church filled with people unless we will be a people filled with power. See, if I, and I will tell you this, if we would be a people filled with power, we couldn't stop them from coming. We've got to say, Lord, we are going to be the salt of the earth again. Somehow, some way, we've lost our voice. But Acts chapter 2 also says 
How do you, how do you receive Jesus? Repent and be baptized. What does repentance mean? It means that you turn. It means that a person has to be ready to say, I'm not living like that anymore. I'm making a choice to follow Jesus and accept him in my heart. I've had people ask me, why do you ask people to come forward? That's why I do. I understand there's different ways. I'm not saying that only you can receive Jesus by coming forward. You can receive Jesus wherever you are, whenever you are, whatever the circumstances. But I know this. We have made the gospel an easy believism in the United States. In our country, we have made it literally a religious club instead of being Christ followers. So this morning, we are going to look at Jesus encountering a false follower. Jesus encountering a false follower. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. I told you we were going to be staying there in the Gospel of Luke. A false or fake follower, and this is the Scripture verse, Luke 22, 47 through 48. <clears throat> we're picking this up kind of halfway in between, so let me finish uh, a little bit of the, the precursor to this. This is where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's right before he's ready to go to the cross. It's here that he's gathered with his disciples. It was a place, by the way, they came often. They, they knew it was a pr place of prayer. They had been there before, and they, would all they were all gathered there at that particular time. Here it is where Jesus was under such duress. He sweat drops of blood instead of sweat. He started sweating, and the sweat turned into blood. Brian. Okay, can I please have someone help me? Thank you. Um, the, the sweat literally turned to blood. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray you would just uh, uh, help us to keep our focus as your gospel is being preached. In Jesus' name, amen. So as he was there under that duress and he sweat those great drops of blood, it is here that we find the culmination of this fake, false follower of Jesus. And here it says, while he was still speaking, this is talking about Jesus, behold, a multitude came and one called Judas, one of the twelve was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, Jesus amazes me. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, my heart in this is truly that there be absolutely, the Bible says, no condemnation to those who are under Christ Jesus, who have given their hearts to him. We're not perfect people. As long as we live in these temples of flesh, we're going to have moments of failure. But what I'm talking to you about 
is that there needs to be an evidence of new life. There needs to be evidence of a transformed heart. There needs to be evidence of the Spirit of God in us and working through us. And this passage of Scripture, I believe, is so timely for us today because I believe that the, the, the uh, Lord is calling the church, especially in America, back to a place where they are going to be a people filled with power, not just churches filled with people. So let's look at the very first thing here. First of all, we look at this passage of Scripture and we notice something as Judas approaches. Number one, he is known by name and by association. Judas was known. There was no doubt about it. He had been with them from very start of the beginning. He was part of the inner circle. He was one of the 12. That's what the scripture says. Nowhere do you see Jesus ever trying to push him out of the circle or say to him, Judas, you really aren't a part. Jesus allowed him to be in the inner circle just like everybody else. And there Judas was. He was not only a part of the inner circle, he ate with the other disciples. He hung out with them. He was on the road with them. He spent much time with them. In fact, the Bible talks about in uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 3 through 13. Uh, make sure you look at that one. Uh, it's up there for you. Mark, I'm sorry. Mark 16, or Mark 6, 3 through 13. What is the significance of that? Well, let me just give you a brief uh, uh, reason. Is this is where Jesus gets ready to send the 12 out. And it, the 12 come back and it, they talk about what God's done. And God did miraculous things through the disciples. I think it's very evident that it doesn't say that, that the Lord did miraculous things through everyone but Judas. It says it did miraculous things through the disciples. Do you know in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about making sure you enter into the narrow gate because he says broad is the way that leads to destruction. And he says, by the way, in that same chapter, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out devils? And he will say to them, I never knew you. Now you say, Pastor Brian, why would you speak that? Are you trying to condemn us? No but they are sobering words for us to think about because truly we need to be that serious about our Christ following. The Bible says in Philippians 2 verse number 12 that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And that is, hear me, hear the heart of your pastor. There is no way that God is standing over you 
waiting for you to make one mistake so he can cut the rope and send you to hell. That is not the heart of God. That is bad teaching. So that's not what we're saying here. What I'm talking about is a real transformation of heart. Something has happened. You have become, you have called on his name. You've asked him into your heart. But you say, Pastor Brian, that doesn't even happen anymore. I believe there are countless thousands of people in hundreds of thousands of locations across our country they have slipped into the body of Christ and they are there, maybe even faithfully, but they have never truly called out in repentance on the name of the Lord. They have somehow, some way, felt like they have become a, a part of the gospel by osmosis. That thing just uh, went kaput, so... The Lord must be doing something this morning. So if I can get somebody to run my, my PowerPoint back there, that would be great. So let's move on, or let's talk about one other thing, and that is, please understand, is it important to hang around the body of Christ? Yes. Is it important to share meals with one another, to get to know one, one, one another? Yes. In fact, I just said that scripture that says we're supposed to love one another deeply, not just superficially, deeply. So there was nothing wrong. Judas was doing all the right things. But hear me, all the right things will not save you. Number two, in this passage of Scripture, Judas drew near to Jesus, but with impure motives. This isn't the only time in Scripture that we see it, but it was one of many. There were many times that the Scripture mentions that Judas drew near to Jesus. He was right there, right literally next to him. But the Bible talks about when Judas was there, his motive was not for really knowing Jesus, but was for all himself. One of those important passages of Scripture is in John chapter 12 verses 5 and 6. It's where the perfume was spilled on the feet of Jesus. And Judas, making a big production, says that was wasted. This money should have been picked up and brought into us so that we could distribute it to the poor. And in verse number 5, it says, he didn't say this because he wanted to give to the poor. He said this because he had been pilfering from the temp from the treasury. He was taking the money. He wanted the money for himself. Jesus never said a word about it. Do you really think Jesus knew? Oh, yeah, he knew. He knew he knew. And do you think Jesus was standing there angry and mad and condemning? I don't think so. I think Jesus was standing there with as much love as you've ever seen in his eyes, looking, longing for one absolute second that he would give him his heart and he would grab him. Judas drew near to Jesus. So, Pastor Brian, what can we do? What do we need to do? 
Well, number one, take a load off because you cannot be the Holy Spirit. I cannot be the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. So we don't need to stand around looking at everyone, everyone making sure that they're a, a true follower. That's none of your business. None of my business. That's God's business. God will make sure that he is the one that deals with that. But here's what I want us to know. Although we can pray, we can intercede, we can ask that somehow, some way, that those who, who maybe are, are living religious lifestyle, but no power of God in their life, that somehow, some way, they would have an encounter with Jesus. Somehow. Because here's what I will tell you. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool the one that matters. On that day, whenever it is, I don't know when it will be. I don't know whether God will call me by death or call me in the air. But I know this, when he calls me, it won't matter what I've done. It won't matter how much I've made. It won't matter the people I know. It won't matter the status I've obtained. The only thing that will matter is the blood of Jesus and whether it has been applied to my heart. That's the only thing at that moment that will matter. So what do I do, Pastor Brian? You make sure that you allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to your heart. When you draw near to Jesus, you make sure, Lord, I want you to even purge the areas I prayed this prayer. Understand, there's no one, there's no one who is righteous, no, not one. So lest we all think, well, I've served Jesus for 30 years. I don't have any improper motives in me. I've prayed, Lord, even if I have a motive in me that I don't even know, that I'm unaware of, purge it from me. Don't let me go there. God, move in me in such a way that I will humbly walk with you, that I will never allow my heart to become deceptive to myself and somehow miss the grace of God. That's walking in humbleness. Let's not walk in religious arrogance. Let's walk humbly before our God. Humbly before our God. Micah 6.8 talks about that. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to love mercy and to do justly and to walk humbly with your God. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to allow you to know no effort, no work, no nothing is going to get us. No, nothing other than the Jesus encounter that we talked about when that eye of the needle is split and you open your heart that little bit, Jesus meets you there. He meets you there. And he will do the miracle. That's why you've heard me talk about that salvation is a miracle. It's not a religious thing. 
It's not a religious experience. It's not becoming part of the church. It's a miracle of God when he takes out your old heart, gives you a new one, a heart of flesh, and places his spirit there. And the Lord spoke of that very scripture this morning. Here's the third point. Jesus still reaches. He still reaches in love to the very end. That's incredible. There's something that we need to do, if, if I can have you go ahead to the third point, please. Uh, Jesus still reaches in love to the very end. If there's one thing we need to understand about Jesus, he will reach until it's absolutely the last moment. We really don't know how to do that. Uh, I put up there that we ought to be praying, Lord, help me to pray and never give up. Because sometimes I give up on people way too soon. I think, Lord, that, that's just nothing happening. I could have come so close to doing that with my father. I, I came so close only by the grace of God and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit did I continue to come. I could have given up. Don't give up. Maybe you're seeing someone and you just are saying, they're not serious. They don't, they're not following after God. Pray, pray, pray. And what I want to say is this. It's his call, not ours. And we need to be careful that we see as Jesus sees. Because I will tell you, sometimes even when I read the scripture, and I am going to give you four examples of that. The first one uh, that I'm going to give you of an example of where maybe we uh, attribute our motives how we would feel about it kind of the same way that Jesus would feel about it. Well, understand, Jesus is perfect, holy and righteous, but he's full of mercy at the same time. And how do I know this? Well, first of all, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's the one that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But how often maybe it is read, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like a schoolmaster, a taskmaster. Jesus is saying, if you fall in love with him, the natural result of that is you keep his commandments. The natural result of love for Jesus is following after him. Jesus was not standing there in a scowling face saying, boy, you better do this. He was simply stating a fact. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Then also, we read about Pilate in John 19.11, where all of Pilate's power and authority is raining down on him. And he's trying to get Jesus to crack under the pressure by saying, don't you realize I have power to crucify you or to release you? And Jesus 
in all the love you can imagine. Because Jesus didn't look at Pilate in disgust. Jesus looked at Pilate and said, you have no authority over me unless it wasn't first given to you from above. It was almost like Jesus was saying, Pilate, take a load off. I know you're in this spot. Pilate wanted to release him. You know the scripture says that. I don't know where Pilate is today. God does. But I know this. It shook him to the core. Something about what Jesus said was different than he had talked to to anyone else. When Jesus looked at him in love and said, Therefore, I'm not, I'm not angry at you. And furthermore, the ones that brought me to you, they're guilty of greater sin. He looked at Pilate, and I believe Pilate saw his love, and it shook him to the core. And the word of God says that from that moment, he tried everything he do, could do to release him. <clears throat> Luke 22.61, I won't take spend a lot of time on this because we will talk about this in a Jesus encounter in the next few weeks. But when Jesus turned in Luke's gospel 22, verse 61, it says that he turned right while Jesus was saying the third time, I never knew this man. And it says Jesus looked at him as he said it. Jesus was not looking in anger. Jesus was not looking in saying, aha, I told you so. Jesus was looking with absolute love, knowing that Peter had failed him. Sometimes I think we need to understand that that's how Jesus looks at you. Jesus loves you. Let me say it again. Jesus loves you. He is wanting to, he's joyfully wanting you to have everything of the kingdom. Hallelujah. He's an incredible, loving father. I think the biggest thing that we need to make sure we don't do is that we don't let our hearts be reading into Scripture how we would do it, but we see really how Jesus did it. And you say, well, how can I know that? This one Scripture alone will tell you that. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have life everlasting. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He sent Jesus because he loves you. He's not wanting to condemn us. We're already condemned. We're in sin. But praise God, he sent Jesus. And we have a way out. 
He will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. Here's something that is truly amazing. Jesus washed the feet of Judas literally hours before Judas is standing, looking at him, getting ready to betray. Jesus, like he did all the other disciples, he loved him, washed his feet, didn't treat him any differently. Oh, that we would see our lost world around us like Jesus does to the very end. And that brings us to this. You say, well, Pastor Brian, why do you bring this up? Not so much questioning. It's not for me to question. I'm assuming that every one of you, unless you have, uh, unless you have no recollection of ever calling on Jesus, are saved and love the Lord. But I will tell you, it's worth the introspection. It's worth saying, God, I want to make sure, Lord. My heart, I don't want there to be any kind of impure, false motive. Lord, I don't want to say, well, of course I'm saved. I hang around them. I eat with them. I'm a part of this and miss grace. And then the other thing that I say, of reason I, I, I say this, is we need to be the church. We need to be the church. Not just here on this day, at this gathering time. We need to be the church to that cranky next door neighbor. To the person that works in the cubicle next to you that you never want to talk to again. To the person at the grocery store that is so kind and so wonderful, but you know they have not called on the name of the Lord. Jesus wants you to be his hands and feet. Jesus wants you to be the one that would be filled with the power of his spirit, saying, Lord, I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll believe that you're going to work through me with power because your word says so. And just start going around saying, God, you've not put me here to work the rest of my life and then go into the grave. You've made me a child of God. You've given me a purpose. You've given me a wonderful thing to be a child of the king. To be a part of his plan. To reach people that need that incredible love that Jesus looked and showed Judas. And this was the fourth one I was going to talk to you about. When he looked at Judas... All that time, and one more time, I believe Jesus wasn't saying, are you serious, you're doing this? Jesus looked, and he said, Judas, are you going to...
betray me with a kiss. He was giving him one more opportunity, looking with all the love he could look, trying to draw him to open up that heart, that millisecond that he could grab a hold of him. That's the love of Jesus. Bow your head with me this morning. Oh, I pray that you as his church today would be so filled with the love of Jesus and the Spirit of God that people would be drawn to you and that you would look with the eyes of Jesus just like he did. That one that is lost in sin, that one that is literally unlovable, to look at them not in judgment, not in hatred, but look at them with absolute love, longing for them to know the Savior that has set you free. God, I pray that over every one here, God, that we would go, that I would go. God, help us to go in the power of your spirit and in love. Then I want to ask the question, is there anyone here? And you would say, Pastor Brian, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I've been in church a long time. But have you repented and called on the name of Jesus? Have you asked him to change your heart? Have you asked him to give you that new heart? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins and give your life to him? If you haven't done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do it. 